Good morning, everybody. How are you? Thank you, Pastor. Okay, really? Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's better. Okay, you guys beat the pants off of uh, first service. They're kind of like, morning, morning. So let's do it again. Morning. So, okay, good morning. Um, so I am the college pastor here, and um, I love it. I love working with the young folk. Um, so, and I know we're all really young at heart actually, but, um, okay, so today I actually drew this short straw, (laughs) because we're going through this book here, and if, let me just get on my soapbox, if you guys are not in a small group, I would strongly encourage you to get in a small group or a home group, that is where true connectivity happens, where, where true support comes, and where you really can work your junk out with people that you trust. Okay, so everybody in the church, including the college group, is going through this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Basically, it's how to get your ish together so that you can love Jesus better, <laughs> is the bottom line. Um, you know, a lot of times this guy points out that as, as Christ followers, we put on this this fake, phony facade, and we come off seeming like everything is okay, we have it all together, when on the inside we're just crumbling. And so he's like, get it shored up on the inside so you don't have to put on a facade. Okay, so this week, um, I I picked the short straw, like I said, and the chapter (laughs) that I got to preach on was um, (laughs) increasing your uh, it's basically growth, growth through pain and loss. Woohoo! That's a crowd draw right there. <laughs> um, so we're gonna we're gonna look at this. We're gonna we're gonna look at this topic, and maybe you're saying, how is that possible? When you go through grief and loss, you just want to crawl up in the fetal position and just rock yourself in a dark room <laughs> and and pull the covers up over your head. But we're going to look at a, a chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 32. We're, we're not going to get there quite yet, but maybe you could start moseying in that direction. Um, we're going to look at this story about um, the effects of pain and loss and how someone was transformed through pain and loss. And maybe you're, and this guy's name was Jacob, right? So he was one of the patriarchs, okay? And he was one of the big fathers of the faith. And... And maybe you're saying, well, how, why are we going to do Jacob? Because he was actually a stealer. He stole things. He's a crook. He was a snake. He took things. He stole his, 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 uh, his older brother's birthright. Why are we going to look at this guy? Shouldn't we look at Job, who was the poster child for loss, right? Job lost everything in a day, right? Not over a course of a year. He didn't work out of bankruptcy. He didn't have a house foreclosure, and then he lost it. Everything just happened at once in one day. He lost his family. He lost his health. He lost his land. He lost all of his trading rights because he was this great trader. He traded transcontinentally. He lost his, he lost everything, his property, everything. He lost everything. He lost his standing in society because people are like, you're poor, you have boils all over your body. Don't come to this party. You're not welcome here, right? So he had to go. He wasn't even welcomed inside the city. He had to go sit outside the city gates, okay? So that's Job. So if you're thinking maybe if we were going to study loss, we were going to study Job. You're wrong. You're wrong. We're going to study Jacob. Um, we're going to look at Jacob because here's the deal. If you are drawing air and you're functioning you and you live on this earth, you will encounter pain and loss. 
And I'm not talking about pain and loss like, oh, I lost the fantasy football pool, dang it. Or uh, I went to go to Krispy Kreme Donuts and they didn't have the old fashions, they just had the start. I'm talking about where you wake up one day and you think everything's okay and you go to a doctor's appointment and your doctor's like, hey, we need to talk now. We need to send you to an oncologist tomorrow because you have stage four breast cancer. Or you take your daughter to the, the doctor and the doctor's like, um, she's not growing like she should. We need to go, see, you need to go see a specialist tomorrow. Or you wake up and you think everything's okay with your mate. Your mate's like, you know, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Here are the divorce papers, see ya. Or you wake up and you go to work you get called in the office, and they're like, here's a pink slip. Sorry, we know you've been working here for 35 years. You've been great and faithful, but we have to let you go. And you have your health insurance to this company, your 401K, your kids call, all this stuff, all the college fund, everything. It's like, what? That's the kind of loss I'm talking about. That's the kind of, and, and um, I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you guys have had, or maybe it's family stuff, too. Families can be the greatest inflictors. Maybe not intentionally, but it still happens. Family members can be the greatest inflictors of pain without even knowing it. You know, familial habits that get set up, and you're just like, oh, we have to go over there again for dinner. I can't take it anymore. I just, I can't do it. I'm just feeling too raw. You know, raise your hand if you've ever gone through any of this. And I know I've left, there's a huge list. Okay, so this is for you. <laughs> and those of you guys that have not raised your hands, uh, you're either in denial or you're young, so just wait, wait for it, wait for it. All right, so here's the thing. When we go through great loss like that, okay, we can decide to deal with it in one of two ways. Number one, we can internalize our suffering and allow it to shrivel us, leaving us bitter, shrunken, consumed, hollow, broken, versions of ourself, where we shut ourselves off and we said, never again, I will never let another person in, I'm done. Life sucks. God, you don't love me, obviously, so I'm writing you off too. I'm writing the world off. I'm shutting myself down. I'm on lockdown. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. <laughs> that's it. Okay, that's one response to great pain and loss. Or number two, which is what I want to focus on, and that's why we're going to look at the story of Jacob, we emerge, we have not chosen to go around our loss, we have not avoided it, we have not self-medicated, we have not picked up a habit to make us not feel the pain, we have chosen to walk straight through the center of it, and it burns, and it hurts, and we feel like we can't take the pain anymore. But we find out we get on the other side, and we're walking, we, ha we walk with a limp, but we're walking upright. And we are walking, and Jesus is right next to us. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why we're going to look at Jacob. Jacob was this jerk. <laughs> uh, my husband's like, you can't use any bad words up in the pulpit, so I'm using jerk. You can, you can embellish. Okay, so Jacob, let's look at the family dynamics real quick. Jacob, remember Josh talked about this, um, his family was kind of messed up. They would probably be in serious counseling. He'd probably be in big-time therapy, and his brother Esau, too. So it was the two sons, Jacob and Esau, okay? And then there was the dad, 
And the dad had a favorite. His favorite was this manly man, Esau, who only ate what he killed and skinned, okay? So that was the dad's favorite, was, was Esau. Then you had the mom. And the mom's favorite was Jacob, who was still attached to the mom by the apron strings, right? So you have these horrible family dynamics with favorites. And then the sons knew it, so they're like, oh, mom loves me best. Well, that's okay, because dad loves me best. And I'm the firstborn, and nah, 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 nah. Okay. So what happens is the mom comes up with this scheme. She's like, Jacob, I want you to take the firstborn's rightful position and blessing. So we're going to trick your dad, who was, he was on his deathbed, and he's blind. How jacked up are the family dynamics here where the mom's like, we're going to scheme and do this because your dad won't know the difference because he's dying and he's going blind anyways, so no big deal. So the mom gets Jacob dressed up to be like the manly, smelly, hairy brother Esau, right? So Jacob gets dressed up like this, and he goes into his dad who can't see, and he's laying on his deathbed, and the dad gives the blessing because he's like, well, it smells like Esau for sure. It feels like Esau. Okay, it must be Esau. So he gives the blessing to foe Esau, <laughs> who's really Jacob, okay? So Jacob's like, awesome, mom, we got away with it. I have the blessing and the inheritance. And then in the ancient Near Eastern culture, being the firstborn was like, you got the trust fund, you got the Lamborghini, you got the cool house in Hawaii, you had um, spending accounts at all the hottest bars in the area, the best restaurants, you had a line of chicks that were waiting to go out with you, like, okay, so you were just set up. Like, you, if you wanted to go um, dancing in a club, you didn't have to wait in line, they'd just be like, oh, Mr. Esau, welcome, your table's waiting for you in the VIP section, okay? So it was just like, as the firstborn, you just had it made, okay? You did not have to think about anything. You got to control the destiny of the family too, right? So Jacob swoops this from Esau. Well, Esau, I think, was probably Italian and Hungarian and Sicilian and all these things. Josh calls my, because I'm Italian, Japanese, and Hungarian, so Josh calls it the axis of evil. <laughs> so it's like, like, like Esau had the axis of evil in him, right? He just loses it when he finds out that Jacob, his younger brother, has swooped the birthright. And the only thing keeping Esau alive at this point is exacting his revenge on his little sneaky snake of a brother. He's probably thinking of a thousand different ways he was going to make this little brat pay. Okay? So we're going to fast forward. That's, so, so the mom's like, hey, son, Jacob, guess what? It's probably not a good idea for you to stick around the homestead because your brother wants to kill you. My bad. Sorry, I kind of set you up to this. But you should probably go ahead and take off. Go to your uncle's house for a few days. Just, you know, let your brother just cool off. You know how he is. He kind of he likes to kill things and skin them while he's mad. So just let him do that. Cool off. Go hunting. Kill a few squirrels. And, uh, and then come back and things will be cool. So Jacob takes off. He goes to his uncle's house. But a few days turns into 20 years. During the 20 years while he's there, he misses his dad's passing, which was a huge deal. You just remember the, the rich young ruler that was like, let me go back and bury my dad. 
And Jesus was like, oh, no, you're here with me. And the, 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 the guy was like, no, no, I have to go back and bury my dad. Jesus was like, oh, sorry. Back in the ancient Near Eastern culture. I mean, even nowadays, you're not like, oh, Aunt Betty just kicked it. We're just going to let her, okay, whatever, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, econo, bury, whatever. Like, it's a very important thing. Well, back in the ancient Near Eastern culture, it was very important, too. It was all about um, you didn't want to leave a body out because it was unclean. You wanted to bury it appropriately and all this stuff. Okay. Jacob misses that. He completely misses that. He doesn't see his family for 20 years. He doesn't see his mom for 20 years. His family has been shattered by what he did, okay? So that is where we leave off. So he goes to his uncle uh, Laban's, and he ends up, I, this is gross. I don't know why they did it and why it was okay, but it's not okay. I'm not condoning it. But he marries his two girl cousins, ooh, <laughs> um, and his uncle, because uh, sneakiness runs in the genes, um, tricks Jacob and he says, yeah, you want to get married to the hot sister? Totally. Work for me for seven years. So at the wedding day, Jacob's like, hey, hey I scored a fox. Awesome. And he goes to lift the veil. He's like, oh, you're the ugly sister. I don't want you. Ooh, I didn't sign up for this. Can I get a refund? Check, please. And Uncle Laban's like, ha-ha, sucker, got you. Guess what? If you want the hot one, you got to work for me for another seven years. Okay, so Jacob works for him for another seven years and finally gets the hot chick. Okay, so he has two wives at this point. He's a twofer. And he is working for his uncle to work off debt and his because his uncle's a shyster, right? So finally, Jacob's like, I've had enough of this. I want my own land. I'm sick of working for this, this devious man who's crafty and he's always tricking me. So he gets his two wives and the kids, and they, they bust out of the homestead, <laughs> and he takes all this livestock. But it's kind of equivalent to, like, Downton Abbey moving. It's like a whole village because he's got all the servants, all the, the shepherds, all the people that take care of the animals and feed them, all the maidservants, the nannies, the cooks, everybody. So it's a couple hundred people. So this is no, no small operation, okay? So they leave. Uncle Laban catches up with them. He's like, where are you going? This is all mine. So they kind of have a, a little tete-a-tete. -tete. And Uncle Laban's like, all right, you can take this stuff, but here's the line. This is my property. If you set foot in here, I kill you and I take everything. Jacob's like, all right, that seems like a fair deal. Okay, so I'm going to have Pastor Janie come up, and we're going to read chapter 32, which is where we pick up our story. Pastor Janie. Oh, sorry. Just wait. Talk amongst yourselves. Just wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, I'll hold it. Oh, thanks. I got it. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you're to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban, and I remain there until now, and I have cattle and donkeys and sheep, goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. 
I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by, his, by itself, and he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you, Pastor Jeannie. Oh, and by the way, if you want one of these books, Pastor Janie is the one that you want to hunt down. She'll be outside. The information table. Okay, thank you. All right, so there will be a quiz on all the math that was in here. That was a lot of math. <laughs> um, I, I know that was a mouthful, but I wanted us to read that because there's some key things here. So here's the scenario real quick. Jacob has left his crafty uncle, right? Do you see the pattern here? Jacob, 20 years prior, had left a mess at home, right? So he's been running for 20 years, right? Hiding out at his uncle's house. And his uncle turns out to be a shyster, and all this other junk builds up with his uncle. So Jacob, who's used to running and splitting when the going gets tough, is like, I'm out of here. Let's get out of here. This is <clears throat> getting uncomfortable and tough. So he splits from his uncle's house, right? Well, guess what? So he's, he has to leave his uncle's territory because his uncle's like, I'm going to kill you <laughs> if you don't scram. Get out of here. So poor Jacob's trying to do his best, and he wanders into Edom, which is Esau's territory. 
So it's just like out of the frying pan into the fire for poor Jacob, okay? But this is kind of like all his junk has been building up. Do you see that? It's a pattern. He hasn't dealt with his stuff, and it keeps building up, building up, building up. He's run from his family situation, and his brother wants to kill him. He's run from his uncle, and now he's kind of jumped out of the frying pan into the fire because he has stepped foot into his um, brother's territory in Edom. So what happens here um, is that he's like, ah, snap, I'm in Edom, oops. So he sends a contingency of messengers with a peace offering, okay, of cattle, livestock, which was like um, the equivalency of um, large stacks of money in our day. <laughs> it was like, here, here's a suitcase full of money, Esau, please forgive me. But the text reads in the Hebrew, Jacob isn't trying to be a shyster. He's not trying to appease his, well, he is trying to appease his brother, but he's genuinely sorry, and he wants to make amends. So he's hoping that this will placate his brother and that his brother Esau will be like, you know, that's, that's okay. Let's, 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 go, let's go get a beer we'll just, or ale or whatever, mead. I don't know. I forgot what kind of liquor they drank back in the day. But let's go have, a, uh, let's go have some Guinness, and we'll go sh- talk about stuff and catch up. That's what Jacob is hoping Esau will say when he sees all of this livestock. But the news he gets back is the worst type of news because his men come running back and they're like, guess what? Esau was none too pleased. And on top of that, he's got 400 men with him. In the text, in the Hebrew, these aren't, these aren't servants. These aren't 400 servants. These are a militia. Every single one of these 400 men they're, they're military. They're trained killers. They're mercenaries. So this is who is coming toward Jacob. Jacob has got his whole village with him, okay? You get the picture? And so he's like, oh, boy. <laughs> what am I going to do? I've got all these. I've got the servants' lives. I've got my kids' lives, my wife's. I'm responsible for everybody's life here and my brother's coming at me. Jacob didn't have a military force. It was just him, a whole lot of livestock, his two cousin wives, and his kids, and he doesn't have anybody to defend him. So what he does is he starts thinking, okay, I'm gonna have this group cross over the river, and then I'll keep this half here and see if we can hold, hold down the fort. And if, he, if, if Esau attacks this flank, at least this group can get away maybe, okay? So that's what he's thinking, because he knows it's going to be a bloodbath. So we're going to dial in real quick here to verse 22. And if I had a drill, you know, in uh, seminary, they teach you to pick out the key verses what are the key verses or the key verse that the, the text hangs on? If you took those verses out, the whole passage would kind of fall apart. And for me, I look at this and I think uh, in uh, uh, verse 22 and 23 are the key pivotal verses on which this whole section pivots. Let's read it. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, cousin wives, so weird, to his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Okay? 
After, 23, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent them, he sent over all his possessions. Now we read that and we go, okay, okay, interesting. But there's so much detail in here. And this is what I want us to get. And this is why we're studying Jacob. Jacob has gone through great loss. He's encountered, he's, he's doled it out, but he's also on the receiving end of great loss. So what he does is, he's sitting at this river, it's called the Jabbok. And the interesting thing is, in the Hebrew, Jabbok means emptying. So Jacob sends his family across the Jabbok River. And then he decides to send all of his possessions, all the food, all the cooking utensils, all the bars of gold, everything across the river. Everything that he had scrapped for and fought for and gave up and sacrificed his family for, he has sent it across the river. He has emptied himself, literally, of who he is. So it's just him and the river, okay, verses 22 and 23. And as if we didn't get enough, the beginning of verse 24, it says, and he was alone. Jacob has nothing that defines him with him. He doesn't have his wives. He doesn't have his kids. He has none of his possessions. He has none of his livestock. He has none of his servants. It's just Jacob with his back against the river, and it's getting late, and it's dark, and he's just sitting there waiting for the impending foot, the footfalls of his brother and his 400 men. And so he's sitting there by himself at the river. And it's dark. He can hear crickets and the, the water rushing by. Can you imagine what he must be thinking? I'm wondering if Esau is going to quickly kill my wives and my kids or if he's going to torture them to exact his revenge. Is he going to keep the cattle and all the livestock or is he going to burn it? And then how is he going to finish me off? Is he going to make me watch him killing my kids and my wives and burning all my possessions, and then he's going to kill me last? Will he keep me alive the longest? All this stuff's probably going through his head. And then Jacob, on top of it, is probably thinking, boy, I screwed up. I totally I bought the farm on this one. Boy, did I step in it. And he's probably going over in his head, man, I haven't seen my mom in 20 years. It would sure be nice to see my mom <laughs> get some advice right now. I missed seeing my dad die and pass away. I missed burying my dad. And all these things are going through his head. He's probably thinking, boy, if I, had, I could do things differently, I sure would do things differently right now. So all this, it's like the weight of the world is on his shoulders, and he's all by himself. He has nobody to comfort him, right? I don't know about you guys, but I have been there before. I have been like Jacob at the Jabbok, where it's just you... <laughs> And you're, you get your back up against the wall, and you're just like, uh, here it comes. And you're just waiting and waiting. It's the way that everything just settles on you. And then all of a sudden, this guy jumps out. He's like, hey, you want to wrestle? <laughs> in 24. Okay, so for real, that's what the text says. There's this guy, and he's like, hey, let's wrestle. <laughs> and in the biblical text, in the, in the Hebrew here, it's, it's uh, not much, it's not really any more smoothed over. It's just like all of a sudden, this guy appears out of nowhere. Now, in the Hebrew, the, it's kind of enigmatic. It doesn't clearly state that this is God, but through the rest of the text and then 
people who are a lot smarter than me, biblical scholars, have said this is God. Okay? So basically, God shows up in the midst of Jacob's junk when he's processing everything, and he's pretty sure he's going to see the end of his life, his kid's life, his wife's lives, everything. And this guy's like, hey, want to wrestle? And Jacob's like, what the heck? What? I'm about to die here. What? And so this guy, they have this, this wrestle fest, right? And they wrestle. <laughs> it's like, what? But they wrestle. And they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they wrestle. During the course of wrestling, this man dislocates Jacob's hip. And it's painful. And the text says that he has a limp. He has a limp probably the rest of his life. Okay, so maybe you're saying, Mako, this is great narration, but where's the, where's the beef? <laughs> We're going to get to it real quick here. Here's the thing. I want us to look at uh, 22 and 23. That night, Jacob got up. This is when he sent everything over. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his, ma- his maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. 23, after he sent them across the stream, he sent, he sent over all his possessions. 24, so Jacob was left alone. When we go through pain and loss, you can have people around you that support you, but it's you going through it. It is just you going through it. People can come up, and even people have gone through the same thing and say, I empathize with you. I know what that's like to you fill in the bank, blank. Um, you guys know I have, uh, I have the back of like a 100-year-old person. <laughs> it's really bad. I got bad arthritis, and I, I've had a couple of procedures done to it. And I have had people um, come up to me, and they're well-meaning, and they're well-intentioned, but they're like, well, you know what you need to do is you need to go play racquetball, or you need to, and I'm like, you don't understand. Do you? <laughs> and they're trying to be nice, but they just don't get it. You know, and you have other people, when you're in chronic pain, it does something. It shapes you on the inside. There was a point in my back, my issues with my back, where I I couldn't get any back relief. And I just thought, you know, the only way for this to stop is if I just stopped existing. I'm I'm not advocating suicide, but that's where I was. I was in so much pain. I had to take a leave of absence from grad school, from my, my job, from life. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I just left. And I was in driving pain all the time. I was sobbing. Our marriage was crumbling because it was a strain on our marriage. And I had well-meaning, well-intentioned people that come up to me and give me advice. You just need to pray more. You need to not want this to be healed so badly. You, and they would, they would try these things. And what it came down to was just me and God and the pain. And I just wanted it to stop. And I was struggling with depression so badly. I thought, this is not living. This is not life. This is, this is barely existing, and I'm not happy. <laughs> this is not a good place to be in. And God spoke to me at that point. He was like, I, I know what pain is, trust me. I know what that's like, and I am with you. I am in the midst of it with you. I am in the darkness with you. I am next to you, even though it feels like you're by yourself. And that's what Jacob is going through. 
Jacob is in the midst of it. It is dark out. He is all by himself. And then this guy shows up. He's like, hey, let's wrestle. (laughs) And so they wrestle. And so here's what I want you to get from this. God is in the midst of the darkness with us, and he's like, let's wrestle together. (laughs) Let's wrestle this. And sometimes we don't want to wrestle. We're like, no, I just want to sit on my rock and just die. Thanks, God. God's like, no, 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 we're going to wrestle. We're going to work through the darkness together. We're going to do it. You're going to do this. Jacob's like, ah. So they do. They wrestle. And they wrestle from the very dead of night till sunup. Okay? And here's the thing. Sometimes when we walk through pain and loss, it will leave us maimed. We're not going to come out on the other side all poops and giggles. We're not going to be like, oh, look at me. We're going to limp. I limp because of my back. But you know what? I'm up and I'm going and I'm fighting. And Jesus is like, I have not left your side. There's a, if, we, if we wanted to, we, I have had, I'm not saying I've had, I've had my fair share in my 22 years because I'm only 22 years old. But we've all had our fair share. But what is really critical is to have a realistic picture and be like, you cannot go around pain. You cannot go around sorrow. That only lasts for so long. And that's what we see with Jacob. For 20 years, Jacob puts it off and it catches up with him, with his uncle, puts it off. And and Jacob's uncle's like, oh, guess what? (laughs) Boom. We can't, we have to walk through the pain. We have to walk through it and the sorrow. And when we learn to do that and we open up ourselves to walking through it, and I'm not saying that we say, this is great. This is, I love this. I'm really serving Jesus now. But we can walk through it and we're like, this sucks. I hate it. I am struggling with anger. I am depressed. I am bitter. God, I don't understand you, but I trust you. I release this to you. If we have to wrestle through the night to get through it, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so God's like, let's, let's walk through it. Because he is more interested in our growth than he is in our comfort. My daughter, Sophia, I love her and she's very bright. But doing homework together, it'll be the death of our relationship. <laughs> she actually's gotten to the point now, and I'm trying to do like positive reinforcement, right? Like, if you finish five math problems, you get three M&Ms. Whoa! So I'm trying to do that. But we've, got, we've just gotten to the point now where she's like, can dad just do homework with me? I'm like, well, your father's not home. I am, so we're going to do this right now. Um, can we just wait till dad gets home? So we do homework together, and it's been really bonding. <laughs> and I'd rather be doing other stuff than doing homework and trying to incentivize my child to do her homework. But, and it's painful for mommy. It's painful for mommy. And it was painful for her, but it's more painful for mommy. Okay, so here's the deal. There have been numerous times where I just am like, yes, mommy would like to have Mako time. But I'm like, we're going to sit down. We're going to do your homework. You're going to learn how to add. You're going to learn phonics. You're going to learn the short E sound. (laughs) And so I do that not because I'm sadistic or I'm cruel. 
I do it because I want my child to know how to read. I want her to know. I want her to go to college. I want her to be prepared. I have my eye on that as opposed to her immediate comfort. And God is no different. God's like, I love you so much. I will accept you wherever you are, however you are. Come to me dirty, nasty, smelly, full of stains. But I love you too much to leave you there. We are going to wrestle and you are going to get cleaned up. Because I'm more interested in transforming you into my, looking like my son than I am leaving you here in a dirty lump of rags. And that's hard for us to get because life is tough. Life is not neat and tidy. Life is messy and it leaves scars on us. It makes us walk with a limp. But we have to know that we have to walk through it. We cannot avoid it. We cannot avoid it. We have to walk through it. But knowing that God is in the midst of that with us. Pain also, like we see here in 22 and 23, has this amazing ability to strip us down. There's an amazing clarity that comes when you're in extreme pain, whether it be physical, um, emotional, or whatever. There's just a clarity that you're like, whoa, <laughs> dang. There's an immediate prioritization to life that happens. You're like, oh, I thought this was important, but what's really important is getting out of this pain. <laughs> and we see this with, with Jacob here. He's in a tremendous amount of pain. He's replaying the last 20 years. He's wondering how painful the death of his kids are going to be. His wives, his servants, he's responsible for all these people, and they're going to get slaughtered. And he's got that there, and he's just like, ah. Oh. Oh. And everything that made Jacob, Jacob, is gone. He is completely emptied out. And that's where God wants us to be when we walk through the pain. And I'm not saying it's going to be fun, and I'm not saying it's the pain itself is good, but God takes everything, everything, and uses it for good. I'm not saying molestation, rape, a lost pregnancy, cancer, um, a lost job, a crumbling marriage, those things are not by any stretch of the imagination good. They are evil. But God says, I will take that. Nothing is wasted in my economy. I take everything and I use it to make you better, to make you whole. Because God wants us to be whole. And we may walk funny <laughs> when we're done, but God's like, you're walking. I got you walking. We wrestled, and you are walking now. All right, my husband told me, he's like, you need to get done on time, so. Okay, so a few more things here. In verse 27, so they wrestle, right? And I know that this is kind of, I'm skipping over a lot, but I want us to get the context because I'm big on context. That's why we read everything. But in verse 27, the man, a.k.a. God, asked him, Jacob, what is your name? And he answers, Jacob. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, God wasn't like, oh, I know you. I know you, you're Isaac's son, and you have that smelly, stinky brother Esau, right? 
but I can't, what's your name? I can't, I can't remember your name. That's not what's going on here. God has not had a lapse. He didn't go to the water cooler and then come back and be like, ah, oh, what's this guy's name that I'm wrestling? Uh, no. Here's what's happening. When God gets us and we're in a place of pain and loss, and I'm not saying that there's, there's just stuff that happens to us by no fault of our own. It has nothing to do with sin. It's because we live in a broken world, a broken, corrupt world that's falling apart. I mean, literally, like, nature's decaying, <laughs> okay? But God gets us to a place, and he's like, what is your name? Who are you? What he's doing here is he's asking Jacob to confess. He's giving him an opportunity to repent. He's like, who are you? In the ancient, especially in the ancient Near Eastern culture, your name was your, was your like, uh, who you were. That's why, especially in the Old Testament, we have it in the New Testament, but the genealogies, we have all the genealogies. We read it and we go, <sighs> but for the audience that it was originally written for, this was key. It was like, what's your lineage? Who do you come from? Who are you attached to? What social circles are you a part of? If I go up against war against you and kick your butt, who's going to come kick my butt? Oh, okay, never mind. My bad. <laughs> I'll back off. So a name carried a lot of weight in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Jacob here confesses in verse 27. He says, my name's Jacob. Well, Jacob in the Hebrew isn't just Jacob. It means finagler, supplanter, shyster, robber, snake, <laughs> hooligan. Nasty, crafty person, okay? So when Jacob says, oh, this is my name, he is confessing. God's like, I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. Release the last bit of your junk to me, Jacob. You have divested yourself of your family, your possessions, your livestock, everything that makes you you. Now give me your name. That is the last piece. What is your name? And he does that. And guess what God does? He says, I am giving you the same name, different twist. It'll be Jacob. No. He's like, I'm giving you a new name. Your name will be Israel with a new meaning. You are a new creation. See, God was interested in not just giving him a new name, but in giving him a new character. He was transformed at this point through all of his grief and his loss and all of his crap. Jacob finally figured out, I got to stop running. I got to walk through it. I got to walk through the middle of it. And in doing that, God's like, I am, you are transformed. You are a new person. And do you know what? From this point on, Jacob, he has, he encounters a lot more pain, a lot more sorrow after this. But he is never the source of deception from this point on. He is a changed man. He never uses deceit to try and get his way after this. And where else do we see this happening? Genesis, right? With Adam and Eve, right? They eat the fruit, and they're like, oh, snap. God's going to be back. He's going to be asking questions. And so God comes back in the cool of the day, remember? Cool of the evening, not in the middle of the night, with thunder. He's like, so what you guys doing? And they're like, she made me eat it. He made me eat it. <laughs> God's like, I'm sorry, what? What? What happened? I'm sorry. And it wasn't like God was away trying to make a platypus, and he's like, I'm going to check back on Adam and Eve and see what they're doing. 
God was giving them an opportunity to confess and to come clean. God is gracious beyond what we can comprehend. And even when we're in the midst of pain, he's like, confess, confess. I want you transformed through this. All right. Getting the look from my husband, so. So here's the bottom line. We are not, no one on this earth, I don't care how many pair of rose-colored glasses you have or how Pollyanna you are, you will feel, feel extreme pain in your life. You will experience great loss. And it will be agonizing, and it will be heart-wrenching. How will you handle that? Will you allow God to walk next to you and to wrestle with you in the midst of the darkness? Or will you close yourself off and say, never again, I'm shutting myself off to the world? And then you become emotionally stunted, spiritually stunted, psychologically stunted, and God can't use you. And all that pain has been for nothing. It is lost. God can't fill a full cup. So when we're walking through that pain, we're like, this is mine. I earned this. I get to keep it. I play for keeps, God. God's like, no. I need you to release this to me. Release your pain. Give it to me. And we're like, nope, I earned it. A lot of tears, a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of nights not sleeping. This is mine. God's like, I can't put anything in your hand if it's closed. You need to release it to me. And we release it to him, and it hurts at first because we're like, I earned this. Like childbirth. Childbirth is not a party. <laughs> not in Afterwards, it's not a party. <laughs> but you're like, I earned this. I gave birth to this. This is mine. Mine. God's like, no. It, it's meant to be a tool to shape you, to craft you, and do your truer self that I know exists in you. Guess what? I created you. I know what your true self is. You don't. I do. I'm God. This is how things work. The other thing is there's something called Wolf's Law. And it's this whole idea that, I'm probably getting some of this wrong, but bone becomes stronger when you do stuff like weightlifting. You, you provide resistance. Remember, that's why they, they say if you're older and you're struggling with osteoporosis, do like light weightlifting because it strengthens the bones. Well, guess what? That applies to our life. God doesn't want a bunch of sissy lalas. <laughs> out there in life, he needs people that are fortified, that are tough, that have strong spiritual bones. And so we must choose to walk through the pain and the sorrow because God will be right there with us in the midst, grappling with us. Let me have Pastor Jeannie. Oh, can I have the band please come up? And I'm going to have Pastor Jeannie come up at the band and the um, ushers to ush. And as everybody comes up, I want to just read this to you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, a.k.a. pain and suffering. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As we take up God's tithes and our offerings, um, I, and you guys, have, if you have filled out this connection card, if things have been brought up in you that you would love prayer for, like Pastor Larry said earlier, um, 
put, put on there. We would love to pray with you. We have people that would love to spend time and listen and pray over you. And believe me, that is a gift for someone to take the time. So put that in there. Also, if you're new, put your information there, and we will stuff an ice cream cone into the envelope and send it to you and, and let you know how, how you can get connected with us further. And so that's what the Connect card is for. This is the time when you put in the offering. So let's pray over the offering. Lord, accept our, our tithes and our offerings. Lord, we give back to you a part of what you have given to us. And Lord, continue to bless this place, Lord, this house of God, that we, we come here to honor you, to exalt you, to love you, and to be changed. And God, we just pray that you would continue, Lord, to use this church as an influence in this community. Use each one of us as an influence in our circles. And, Lord, we just bless the plans that you have for us. In Jesus' name.